0: Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Festness. How are you today, Catherine?
1: Well, it's another great day. I not only get to be with you, but we get to help these doctors have a lot more peace about their finances. So that's always a great day.
0: Absolutely. Well, again, the whole reason we're doing this is we want to give doctors every chance to have financial security. And so I thank you for sharing your expertise with us, and I hope that we're helping a lot of doctors in the process.
1: That's my goal, too.
0: All right. So the topic for today is side gigs for doctors. Our listeners may remember back to a previous episode where we talked about the changes in tax laws and how that 2018 would be a good year to potentially earn some alternate income and now you're going to tell us a little bit about what some of these side gigs may be and how we can approach that process.
1: First, I want to start out by talking about side gigs. Sometimes I hear in the industry it's called a side hustle. Have you ever heard that term?
0: I'm not too, too familiar with that term, but I do prefer side gigs. For some reason, I have sort of a negative connotation associated with the word hustle.
1: I would totally agree with you. Um, When it comes to a hustle, that feels to me like something slightly disreputable, uh, maybe a little bit on the gray side uh, of ethics. And I think what doctors do is very noble. It's a very noble profession. So I prefer to use the side gig. And to me, a side gig is just a way of earning some additional income, some income that's on top of what you're already earning in your regular, I'm going to call it the day job, well, Christy, I do know you work a lot of nights, but something in a, on top of your regular job.
0: Excellent. Well, first of all, as an emergency room physician, I can say, what would I do without my overnights? But more importantly <laughs> exactly. to, our, to our whole audience, I would say, I really do not know a physician who would not benefit from some additional income given the cost of tuition and student loans and the cost of living and what doctor's salaries are doing these days.
1: Well, we're currently in a fantastic economy that's great for the doctor who wants to earn extra income, and that's partly because our unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in probably decades. It's only about 3.8%, so there's lots of opportunities to earn more money out there, and uh, I think of the gig economy as a place where you can get short-term, independent employment, and it's very readily available.
0: Sounds like a win-win.
1: Absolutely. It's great for doctors and not just for the tax reasons that we talked about in a previous episode, but because as you pointed out, so many doctors today are strapped with high taxes or student loans and it can be a way to pay down some of those debts or save for their children's college or buying the boat, whatever it is that they'd like to do with it.
0: All those important things in life.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So when we think about maybe entering or considering a side gig, What's the best way to approach this? Well,
1: I always like to think of this uh, starting point is, what are you worth? Really, what is your hourly rate? How much is your time and expertise worth, I should say, on an hourly basis?
0: Okay. And how would one figure that out?
1: Well, let's just assume that you're making $300,000 a year. You worked 40 hours a week. You got four weeks off every year. So we take 300,000 divided by 40 hours, multiply that by 48 weeks, we get an hourly rate of about $156. That's roughly what you're worth per hour, what you can earn per hour. That
0: doesn't sound too bad. I'm sure it's almost as no, much so- as the financiers on Wall Street.
1: Oh, if only, if only. Well, then we just have to move the decimal points over. You know, it's more like 30 million or something per hour. So I think the next step is once we know how much you're worth, and by the way, this is hugely important, Christy, on a lot of things. If if I'm out shopping, I have to be very careful with clothes. Um, I don't enjoy eating out at all, but I do get a little carried away with clothes. I need to be thinking, oh, my hourly rate, let's just say is $150 an hour. is this dress worth $150? Is a $150 dress, is it worth one hour of my time? Is it worth one hour of my life that I will never get back again?
0: So that's maybe a good way to look at things when you're considering purchases and how to factor that into your budget each month.
1: Exactly. Um, And I think so many doctors let um, those purchases or those desires control them instead of thinking about it a little bit more thoughtfully. You know, as I've mentioned on previous broadcasts, I'm trying to get much more into a minimalist mindset, being content with what I have. I do not need 20 different white t-shirts.
0: I'm not Um, sure anyone does.
1: (laughs) But I could easily go there if I don't stop myself and go, okay, these 20 white t-shirts, they cost me so much. Maybe it costs me two hours of my life that I'll never get back to, to buy them. Is it really worth it? Probably not. Uh, On the other hand, saving for something that might be a trip to Indonesia, say, might be very much worth the time that you spent to earn it, to go on this fabulous vacation. So I just want people to be more thoughtful about it.
0: So go ahead, take your salary, divide up the hours you work, get a sense of what your hourly rate is, and then start to think about that when you think about your overall wants and needs and and your life planning.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And your wants and needs are a great place to start because they are two entirely different things, right? We do need food on a daily basis. We do not need to eat out every single meal. And I have had doctors spending 2500 a month just in eating out. Oh that to goodness. me is, I know, I, I, I was shocked. And it takes a lot to shock me after this stage. Uh, but I think that if they... They thought about it and that represented maybe 10 hours of their life or 20 hours of their life, and they thought, no, that's a fair trade. That's great. That's really all I'm looking for is for them to feel comfortable that that was a very fair trade, some work time for what they got out of it.
0: So, you also make note here that perhaps we should be considering um, outsourcing some work around the house. Again, kind of going back to that idea how much are we worth each hour, and how much do we want to spend in terms of our time or spend? when we hire other people to help us with some domestic chores.
1: I think that's a great way to tee it up. I think of it as a smart trade. So um I think I've told you this story before. So when we were very early married, my husband and I decided that we needed to hang a little bit of wallpaper. And I'm not talking about a lot of wallpaper. I'm talking maybe eight feet worth of wallpaper. And there's a reason I went to law school and I did not go into surgery. And that's because I am really lousy at doing handy things. (laughs) Math, great. Writing legal documents, negotiating business deals, I'm your gal. Hanging wallpaper, I discovered painfully, was not my thing. So uh, we, my husband and I spent most of a day trying to get this little bit of place of wallpaper up. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, one of our really good friends came over. And it turns out he was a professional wallpaper hanger. And he goes, I just thought I'd drop in and see how you're doing. Well, I was about to divorce my husband. And let me tell you, I was not in my sweetest state of mind. I was pretty darn crabby. And the wallpaper was on crooked. And on top of all of that, it it wasn't finished. And it was a complete mess. Everybody was crabby. Oh,
0: no. I'm sorry to hear that.
1: It was a disaster. And I I looked at him. And the thought crossed my mind, fair trade. And I said, so how would you like a free estate plan? <laughs> he goes, that sounds good to me. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do your wills, your trust, I'll do everything if you just clean this up and hang this wallpaper for me, which he did in probably an hour. I mean, it was just crazy how fast and how great he was and it looked absolutely beautiful. So I considered that a very even and very fair trade uh, where I could do something that was easy for me, very light lifting, where I could make a lot of money and off. Load other things that were difficult and painful.
0: Okay, so if it's not within your wheelhouse or your skill set or your expertise, maybe consider outsourcing it because the time and effort to uh, accomplish a task may far exceed what it really is worth.
1: Exactly, exactly. So if you take your hourly rate and maybe um, and uh, this an example that I gave before, if you're making three hundred thousand in a year, as I told you, forty hours a week divided by um, and multiplied by 48 hours in a year. We're coming up with about $156. What if you could get the neighborhood teenager to mow your lawn for you and he would charge you $25? So some doctors would go, no, I need to go out there and mow the lawn because I don't want to pay anybody to do it. I want to save that $25. But it it didn't really save you $25. In my mind, it actually cost you about $125 because that is an hour that you could have spent practicing medicine getting top dollar for instead of mowing the lawn.
0: Okay. So now it makes sense and makes the math really not that difficult to calculate.
1: Exactly. Uh, Now, of course, if you love mowing the lawn, no problem. Go out there and mow the lawn. Maybe it's therapy for you. but if not, I think most doctors would be ahead if they worked an extra shift a month or they did some of the side gigs that we're going to be talking about, and they used their expertise to be earning top dollars, and then they delegated a lot of things that they don't like to do or that were time-consuming.
0: Mm. And when I think about lawn care, I not only think about the time invested, but it's the equipment and the materials and the engine maintenance and on and on and on. So some of these household chores can get really expensive.
1: Exactly, time consuming and and annoying too (laughs) for those of us who don't like to do them. So I've got a whole list of some things that people can delegate if they just want to be thinking about. Obviously, lawn care is one. Home cleaning, you know, uh, if you've got a small place and you're a resident, you should probably be cleaning your own apartment. Mm. Um, Because one of my rules is that if you're heavily in debt you probably shouldn't be outsourcing things. You should uh, be doing as much as you can yourself or if not be doing a lot of other shifts so that you can be getting the debt paid off. Okay. If that makes sense. But uh, cleaning the house. Now I've actually got a client who has a chef, a professional chef. This is an anesthesiologist. He's married to a, um, um, she's a psychologist and they have a chef that makes most of their meals, and he can make far more practicing anesthesia than they're paying the the chef, which is maybe twenty five or forty dollars an hour to be able to cooking the meals. They don't like cooking, and that seems like a very fair trade for them.
0: Mm. And when you say that, you know, perhaps not everyone could go to the extreme and have the personal chef, but now these days there are all sorts of home delivery um, products for ready made meals that can take some of the burden of cooking and Food prep and grocery shopping and things like that off your plate, um, so maybe a, a consideration for some busy families.
1: Right now, personally, I enjoy cooking in small amounts of time. So my husband and I batch cook. We cook all of our meals for the week on a Sunday, and I I like doing it with him. It's kind of a fun. It's kind of a fun project, and then it doesn't take up any extra time in the rest of the week. But that's not for everybody. So cooking might be one. Uh, I definitely put financial planning on the list. So yesterday, I got a call from a doctor who was pretty upset because uh, he's living in the San Francisco area. He owns not one, but two houses there. Poor guy. You can imagine how what the mortgages are no,
0: I can't in San Francisco.
1: <laughs> oh, right. It was it was absolutely horrific. And he's thinking about taking another job. And does he sell the houses? Does he not? And it, 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 I really felt sorry for him because he's, he took him about 45 minutes just to explain to me the complexity of this one particular situation he was facing financially. And he says, I spend about an hour a day thinking about this, researching it, trying to figure out what to do. And I honestly, I felt sorry for him. This is stuff that I do day in, day out. It'll take me a couple of hours to be able to run the numbers and figure out what's going on. It would probably take him, well, you could tell he'd been working on this for maybe a year. He'd probably spent 50, maybe a hundred hours on it already. And he wasn't close to the answer Mm. he needed.
0: And let alone the stress and the emotional turmoil of having to make that decision.
1: Right. Particularly in his case, because he's in his late fifties. He wants to retire. If he screws this decision up, there's no coming back. He doesn't have time to recover. So it's very important he gets it right. He has good information. So my point is financial planning is not the things that most uh, people can do themselves. So I recommend outsourcing that along with tax prep.
0: Mm, Yes, I remember when I think back to a previous podcast, you noted how specialized the expertise is for tax prep and how you really want to get it right and maximize all your deductions because if you don't, you're really leaving money on the table.
1: Totally. And sometimes we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. I've had three or four doctors come to us recently. They're like late 50s, early 60s. They've been do-it-yourselfers. They've been doing it themselves their entire lives. They've been doing their own tax returns. And they missed the obvious thing we've talked about before, which is trying to get more money in the tax-free bucket. They didn't have the training. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't know how to do it. And now they're facing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, in one case, $2 million worth of taxes that they wouldn't have had to pay if they'd gotten, if they paid for a little help along the way.
0: That sounds incredibly painful. I'm so sorry for that. Oh.
1: I, me too, I would like, no, work the extra shift and use the money to pay the accountant to do the taxes. You know, so, you know, it's up to speed.
0: Well, I'm right there with you. And once again, Catherine, so thankful that we have you to help us.
1: Oh, you are so kind. I love working with you guys. Um, but in other areas, automobile maintenance. You can imagine if I can't hang wallpaper, there's no way I'm changing a tire. Uh, so that might be something else that most people would want to be outsourcing. Um, repairs around the house. I I usually do my own grocery shopping because I, kind of, I find it very therapeutic. But if I'm really, really busy, I will actually pay to have somebody grocery shop and deliver the the groceries, because I figure that's time that's better spent in front of clients and helping them with their problems.
0: Yes. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that there's now a whole variety of home delivery services that potentially can take that work and and do it for you for relatively short money. So I guess the take-home point with all of this is much like your budget where you're thinking about every dollar goes, think about this as your time budget. Where are you spending your time and how much money is that time worth?
1: Exactly. Because you will never get it back. Mm. So it's. I think it's really important that we spend the time wisely in this case, and also the money wisely. All right. I just, so part of the reason I went through what can you delegate is I'd much rather have that doctor delegating most of these things, or even a few things on this list, working that extra shift, and then they can use that extra shift for what's important to them. It might be paying off the debts faster. It might be Putting money into retirement savings, putting the kids through college—something else that's very meaningful to them.
0: Absolutely. So, have your priorities, know what your financial goals are, and be consistent as you work through them with your life decisions.
1: Well stated. Now, some of the people are concerned about the tax consequences if they get this side gig. Is that something that uh, that you've heard, Christine?
0: Yes, I think that's definitely a question by our listeners, because it is a little bit different approach to taxes. I think most of us are familiar with the traditional W-2, and so when you get the money, the taxes have already been taken out, and you really don't have to think about it too, too much. But now when you have alternate income sources, such as a 1099, it's now a whole nother method of tax planning. Can you help us out there?
1: Right. Well, I don't think people should be scared off from doing this because of the tax consequences, because honestly, they can be pretty easily resolved. To your point, a W-2 employee has their taxes deducted, and you're right. Most people don't have to think too much about it. Uh, And it usually comes pretty close at the end of the year when you file your taxes. You may be a little under, a little over, but you're pretty close. However, when you're a 1099 contractor which is what most of the side gigs are not all but most of them that means that you don't have any uh taxes withheld you're considered self-employed so if you're if you get paid two thousand dollars for doing that shift you get the entire two thousand dollars there's no taxes withheld no well this can be Yes. So this can be very painful for doctors who are not prepared because if they don't set aside the money for those taxes now, come next April and they get a big tax bill, they're like, oh my gosh, this was horrible. So I don't want any doctors to fall into that trap.
0: Yes. Well, you know, I think there might be some naivety there that, you know, you get the money and you don't necessarily think about the taxes. You may not really be or understanding what taxes you're responsible for and and it might just be the honest truth that having that cash is just so tempting that you may want to spend it on something that you've really been working toward and and decide to pay the price later. But agreed, the wake-up call could be pretty harsh and pretty painful.
1: Totally. So depending on what state you're in and uh, how much money this is, my rough, rough rule of thumb is take a third of that money, whatever you're getting, and put it in a separate account, a savings account, And set it aside mentally and emotionally for taxes. Don't even look at it. Don't spend it. Just take it off first thing. And then you'll have some money set aside. Now, depending on how much money you're earning, you may want an accountant to help you because as we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts, this is a fantastic way to save taxes uh, on this money.
0: Okay. So work with your accountant. This is within their expertise and skill set to help you plan for it. And then it will make next April 15th not so painful for you.
1: Exactly. And just to briefly reiterate some of our previous podcasts, there's a ton of deductions you can take against this 1099 income that would reduce your taxes on it. And for certain doctors, uh, depending upon how they're taxed, they might even get by with having 20% of that income not taxed at all. So it, it can be very helpful to get good advice and well worth the money.
0: Absolutely. So if you are a physician and you have your regular full-time employment or your day job, as you like to say, what are some possibilities for side gigs for doctors? And, and how would you suggest that doctors start to approach this market?
1: Well, let's talk about some of the options first, and then we can talk about how, how to approach them. Now, there's the obvious thing I know you all know about locum work, Moonlighting, yeah, you know, no news there. I'm seeing more and more doctors do telemedicine. I have uh, two or three psychiatrists that are doing telemedicine with prisons, And I don't know if they just have a hard time finding psychiatrists that are going into the prisons or they're worried that they're not safe or whatever, but they're using telemedicine to do to do that. I have a number of neurologists that are starting to do. Telemedicine, where they're um, reading the report, uh, they're reading the studies, and they're giving them reports uh, to other physicians around the country. So telemedicine could be, I think, is going to be a bigger and bigger deal as we go forward.
0: Mm, especially with the highlighted physician shortages. So yes, I think there's many opportunities there as well.
1: It, totally. Uh, another is authoring a book. I have a client who did a textbook. And I am shocked at how much money he makes every year from this book. But I suppose if, you know, all the medical students have to buy it for their particular class, you know, it, and you know how expensive those medical textbooks are, it really adds up. So uh, that's great to get some royalties there. Um, I've had a couple of doctors create some smartphone apps for various things. None of them have taken off yet to making them lots of money, but it's made them some some small amounts of money. So uh, I think over time they could catch on and that could be a much bigger deal.
0: Yeah, I have to say I do love the apps and I feel that my smartphone is really indispensable for me on a shift. It's where I have all of my resources. It is my go-to. The only hesitation I have there is much like before when we were talking about the negative connotations of of calling it a side hustle. I feel like in some ways, if you charge for a smartphone app, it has this sort of negative connotation that you're selfishly looking to financially prosper from it rather than being a generous educator and and freely and willingly giving the education to help the community around you.
1: Oh, oh, I, you know, I hope that you can think past that because it's expensive to get these apps together. Sometimes you have to hire um, programmers, there can be legal bills, there can be all sorts of things. So I think a small payment per month is more than fair off of these. And as I said, I don't have anybody yet who's gotten rich off of this. So, so you know, when you're as old as I am, it's amazing what you learn. We actually have a um, another company. That, I don't know if I've ever talked to you much about this. That is a software company. So I will tell you, it's very expensive to create these apps because you have to hire programmers. There's legal fees. Uh, you you know, you've got to collect tax on the apps. There's a whole bunch of things that are involved. So it doesn't bother me a bit if somebody wants to charge a little bit to help overcome those costs.
0: Okay. So maybe just flip the way that you're looking at it and don't think of it necessarily as a way for you to selfishly prosper, but indeed maybe look at it as a way that you're getting paid for the work that you've done.
1: I think that's a great way to frame it up. And I should tell you my whole philosophy on life really isn't about selfishly prospering at all. My whole Uh, business philosophy is that I want my clients to get more out of the relationship than I do. For whatever they pay me on an annual fee or for managing their money or whatever it is, I want them to make sure that they're getting at least that back or more so that it's a good trade for them.
0: Well, I could say that everybody feels good when it's a win-win. So in that respect, yes, it makes sense.
1: Exactly. So it's why I feel so strongly about our clients. And I will simply ask them, you know, you, you've you paid me X dollars this last year in fees. Are you that much richer? Did you save that much in taxes? Did you get that much in peace of mind? You know, was it worth it to you? And you, you know, this, that if, if I've never had a client tell me differently, but if it wasn't worth it, I would easily refund the money because I want to make sure that they get a good experience. And that's, to your point, it's a win-win. I want to make sure that it feels good to them.
0: Well, advice well taken, and certainly you want to be thinking about ethics when you pursue any of these ventures, and certainly thinking about the betterment of the community around you is never a bad thing.
1: Exactly. Now, a couple of other things we can do is medical consulting or forensics. Once again, I've got some doctors that are making, gosh, 100000 maybe more a year just doing um, <laughs> forensics uh, or medical consulting. One of them... Um, He's just a lovely person. I absolutely adore him. And he hates doing this. He really hates getting up and testifying. And so he hated it so much, he just kept raising his rates and raising his rates. And guess what? The attorneys just kept paying him and paying him and paying him. And I think his rates now are so high, he might actually really enjoy doing this. So...
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a really funny story. But, yes, at some point, the money's got to be so enticing that uh, you would find You go like, oh,
1: this enjoyment. is totally fun. I th- I thought it was great. Um, so another thing, we've got CME content writers or teachers, or I we've got a client that actually teaches, I think it's MCAT prep courses. Uh, the great thing about doing this online education is you can do it at odd hours. And um, that person I know did that, did incredibly well doing that. Um, Another one is medical directorships at nursing homes or medical spas. So Christy, if you're going to do the medical spas, you might be able to get some free Botox or some filler. Not that you need that, but you know, down the road, you never know. Might come in handy. Um, I've got a doctor doing these medical directorships. I swear he's got at least six of these. And, uh, it 's not unusual for them to pay him thirty five hundred to five thousand a month for these per place, so start doing the math
0: yes, that adds up very quickly doesn 't it
1: It does, and then on top of that, if he 's seeing patients at the nursing home, then of course he can charge them for the for the visit so that has been incredibly lucrative for him uh, speeches. Obvious things, but we've got doctors making a lot of money with speeches around the world and free travel. They will uh, time their vacations so that it goes with the speech so they don't have to pay for vacation travel. Uh, I've got a a doctor doing a blog. Now, he's in his case, he's doing a travel blog, but if he set this up correctly, he could be doing a lot of his travel and be making it a business deductible expense. Well, I'm actually surprised at how much money some people can make with these blogs. So, if they're recommending a particular product and there's an affiliate link um, and the reader clicks through, they actually get a small finder's fee if the reader ends up buying whatever the product was that was recommended.
0: Excellent. Well, that sounds like a win win in my book. <laughs>
1: Now I don't know any physicians that are doing this well but I've seen a number of chiropractors not my clients but I've seen a number of chiropractors clean up with these blogs and they not only do some some free podcast uh, video blogs but they also will offer courses say or a consults or um, you know a six week class on managing your nutrition for weight loss let's say and so they can, might charge two or three or $400 or even more for doing some of those classes. So I think that works really well for physicians because people tend to trust, in my mind, and a physician more than they're going to be trusting probably a chiropractor or just a, a person who's a straight nutritionist.
0: Absolutely. So. Well, like you said before, I like to think of medicine as a profession deeply embedded in honor, and, and hopefully we've proven ourselves worthy of that. And if that's how our patients see us, then I, I'm all the more pleased.
1: I think it could be great. I, um, I've got another a couple, number of clients that are either psychiatrists or psychologists, and a number of them do um, hypnotherapy. And one of my suggestions to them is that they start recording um, the process, the words that they're using to get people into a hypnotic state, and then they sell the recordings online. Um, so, anyway, that could be another thing. Uh, other options might be doing disability or health insurance reviews. We've got a client in Massachusetts, and he uh, for cl- um, for residents of Massachusetts who are on disability insurance, they have to be reviewed periodically by a physician to see if they're still disabled. So he does those, picks up extra money there. And then, obviously, you could, uh, urgent care shifts. That's my understanding that a lot of your of the specialties would qualify for doing urgent, urgent care. So those are just some of the things that we've either seen done or I think would be a good idea.
0: Excellent. So when you look at the amount of free time that you have in your life, you can look at maybe some of these options, see if there's anything that's particularly exciting or interesting to you. Because as you know, if you enjoy it, then it really doesn't feel like work. Um, And that may be a fun way to learn a new skill or to try out a new market and potentially bring some income for you and your family.
1: I th- you've said it really, really well. Well, there are actually some classes. I've had doctors tell me they there are some people out offering classes on how to get into some of these other businesses, which I think is absolutely it's just fascinating. I would pick off the easy ones first, do the moonlighting, the locum work the t- the telemedicine etc. If you're going to be doing something that's more involved, like the blogging or what have you, start small. And sometimes it even helps to maybe hire a business coach to help you kind of pull it together.
0: Yes, and I would really say I don't think there's anything that's out of question. You know, in this economy with so many things accessible online, as you just pointed out, doing recordings an easy way to amplify your message and and get your business plan out there and Being an ER doc, I have to agree with you. There's very little that shocks me these days.
1: Exactly. One other thought might be to also look at recruiters and let them know that you're looking for some just part-time work uh, because it's going to be getting harder and harder to find doctors. And so I think recruiters will be more interested in finding the part-time docs.
0: Excellent. So some ideas for our doctors to think about Again, think about what you enjoy, think about what your strengths are, think about what your skill set is, and maybe we can find something that makes it work for you. The win-win in that you enjoy it and you make some money. So Catherine, in closing, I want to once again thank you for your time and your expertise. We appreciate all that you do for our physician community. Listeners, I hope that you find this helpful. If you have any questions, we encourage you to please pass them along because we really want to work to make this podcast a benefit to you. And on behalf of Brown University and myself, I would like to thank you for tuning in.
1: We look forward to
0: seeing you next month. Take care.